Hi, everyone, and welcome to Talent Talks. I'm Rob Adams. Today, we are excited to be joined by Tim McEwen, Managing Director of Talent Development and Advisory for Sheffield Haworth. On this episode, Mr. McEwen joins the show to discuss the rise of the importance of culture, why it is important to corporations and organizations, and how search firms are assisting in the process. Mr. McEwen also touches on how the pandemic shed further light on cultural needs, as well as his thoughts on the reinvention of culture for the future and what that means. Tim, welcome back to the show. How are you? Great. Thanks, Rob. Great to be back again. Thanks for having me. Well, great to be with you. We appreciate your time as always, and let's jump right in. Sure. Have we not heard enough about culture? Uh, Surely businesses have got this sorted out, given the focus on corporate culture since the financial crisis and beyond. (laughs) You'd you'd like to think so, wouldn't you, Rob? Uh, You'd like to think that people have got this sorted. But believe you me, there are still leaders and organizations out there who who think that dealing with culture is, you know, let's hold a half-day off-site, create some words on a PowerPoint deck, um, you know, call them values and stick them on the wall, you know, culture done, tick, well done. Um, so so there's still a lot of people out there that think, you know, that that's the approach. But, but that's, t- to be fair, there are also a lot of organizations that are doing great work on culture. Um, I mean, I think I've done some work historically with, with Barclays, uh, with, with Barclays Bank and, and um since 2008, they've done a huge amount of work on their culture. I mean, let's face it, they had to, um, but but that's okay because they and they really have. I think the other, you know, Netflix is always held up there as a, as a real um, cultural icon uh, for taking this sort of stuff seriously. So there's lots of great examples, but you know what? There's still a lot of work to do out there. But people seem to be more willing to talk about it. it it's certainly out there on social media, lots of white papers, etc. Why? Why is it out there? <laughs> yes. People seem to be willing to talk a lot about about a lot of things now that they perhaps <laughs> have not been willing to talk about in the past. And it's, and it's great that they are. I mean, the fact that we're, people are talking so much more about mental health openly. And so, so, yeah, you're right. I think people are talking about it. I think there are a number of reasons for that. Um, I think, first of all, they didn't have a choice. Organizations didn't have a choice as to whether or not they wanted to talk about their culture. There's pressure from all sorts of areas. I mean, particularly for, for regulated industries, and I'm not just talking about financial services, for any industry that's regulated, the regulators have have an interest in their, in their cultures. Uh, I think there's also greater routes to exposure. The press are always all over culture because they love a corporate scandal. Um, in their papers, and invariably, when you start to dissect the scandal, um, it ends up with culture at the bottom of it. And I also think that you know that social media is, is um, put a, a shone a, a bright light on organisational cultures because you're only a click away from having your stories and your culture exposed. The great example recently, um, there was an open letter on Twitter. I don't think you can actually have an open letter on Twitter. But anyway, they posted on Twitter this open letter from the employees of Brewdog, mm. which is a uh, which is a, a craft brewery um, based in Scotland. Um, and they posted an open letter about the, t- the toxic nature of their culture. It's one click away from being out there in the open. So I think that's one thing. People are talking about it because they don't have any choice. I think this. I think the second thing is that there is a much greater lens on DEI, diversity, equality, and inclusion. 
And we are hearing voices that have previously been silenced by the very cultures that we're talking about here. Um, and they're quite rightly demanding to be to be listened to and to be recognized. And the answer to these these uh, DEI questions um, are ultimately cultural ones. Um, so I think, you know, so that's important. I, I think the third reason people are talking about it is because investors are talking about it. There's this thing called ESG. Yes, and most people know what it is, environmental, social and governance um, investing. And that's all about investors looking very closely at the environmental, social and governance um, elements of their potential investments. And in turn, the investors' funds are also scrutinized for their ESG credentials, and that is a cultural lens. So I think that those things all mean that people are talking about culture more than they perhaps have been in the past. And then finally, the pandemic. Yeah, um, it has got some senior leaders really worried um, that their long fought for, you know, beautifully, carefully curated cultures over decades um, that they're going to change. And, you know, I, I kind of think they're going to. And, and I don't think that's and, – and, and I'm quite glad, yeah. But, um, not because I think that all their cultures were bad. I mean, far from it. Some really, really great examples out there. Um, and, and I can't speak for every organizational culture out there. But because I think that the pandemic and the situation that the world finds itself in is an opportunity for organizations to ask themselves the question – you know, how we've done culture in the past, is it the right way for us to do culture in the future? Um, so I think, yeah, you're right. People are talking about it, and I think that's why. Okay, so who cares? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think, you know, yeah, lots of people. I think, first of all, your people care. You, you, you know, your own employees care. And if you ignore them, they will kick you, yeah, because they have the tools – um, and the roots to doing so, and, you know, brew dog again. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. Um, and increasingly, people want purpose, um, and that's not new. We've always wanted, you know, humans have always wanted purpose, but perhaps the strength of their their demand to understand that purpose is louder. Um, and 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 people are no longer perhaps a bit like our grandparents, who are willing just to come and sort of do a job, turn the handle, and do the job because the boss tells them so. Generations coming up are not going to be are not going to be willing to, to do that. So I think your people care, and in combined with that, I think your future talent cares. These are the people who you haven't recruited yet, but one day they will be candidates for you, and they will ask the questions of you about your culture. They will they will quiz you on it. So they care, and I think your customers and your clients care. Um, they they care that they want to know that the organization providing them with products and services are are good good people who look after their people and and look after their customers and clients and look after the world i mean look what happens post the volkswagen um, emission scandal a diesel emission scandal you know the, their customer base is outraged outraged that they had been lied to and that that Volkswagen had manipulated results to, to, to get them ahead of the game, you know, the, the, the consumer reaction was, was really strong. So I think in, when we include investors and regulators in there, a lot of people really care. 
Your brew dog example is a great one because we do see that more and more, especially on social media. So uh, there's a, a lot to think about in that regard. Yeah. But l- let's let's shift over to the pandemic. Why do you think the pandemic? Uh, what what do you think it has done to shine a further light on culture? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I think first of all, you know, regardless of the pandemic, we all still have a culture. Regardless of the pandemic, the pandemic, you know, it hasn't. We all have a culture. What what happens is that these cultures have been challenged. Yeah, the the norms and the agreed standard ways of working and the assumptions have have been challenged, and and this, in in some people's minds, has perhaps created a bit of of a crisis. Um, but I don't think it's a crisis. I, I think it's much more that organizational cultures are in flux. And when things are in flux, people have different reactions to change, which is also entirely human and entirely understandable. Um, and, and I think that that leaders are feeling that it, it is hard to nurture a culture in a hybrid or in a, a remote working environment using the tools that they know well. And that's an important phrase, the tools that they know well, because they have been working and using certain tools most of their working life. They've got comfortable with how to do them, and suddenly we're asking them to use new tools. It's like you know, maybe in an extreme, you know, a, a plumber's suddenly started to ask to be used to use um, uh, some sort of digital uh, thermostats or digital systems and go, whoa, whoa hang about. I, I've been using this sort of analog thing for years and years and years. And now you're asking me to use this different tool. It's not that they can't get their head around it. It's just different and it's different and it's difficult. But I think those leaders have kind of got two choices. Yeah, I, I think choice one is just go back to the way things were as quickly as possible. And I think that's understandable um, because they they liked it. They liked the way it was. They felt comfortable with it. Um, and they knew how to operate within it. Indeed, they 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 probably created it. They knew how to manage it, the culture that is, and then they knew how to manage their people within that culture. So it's entirely understandable. And the people that we're talking about here have operated in those cultures for 25, 30, 35, 40 years. Yeah. And so this is this is a difficult thing to ask people to do to start changing the way they've operated. Um, and so option one is, as I say, just to go back as quickly as possible to the way things were and pretend that nothing's happened. And your second option is to find another way. And and that needs a change and it needs people to be a little bit more open minded. OK, so are people open minded? <laughs> well, I think most people in the world, if you were to ask them on an individual basis, uh, would would say, yeah, absolutely. Of course, I'm open minded. It's a bit like going to a job interview and being asked if you're enthusiastic. You're you're probably not likely to say that you're not enthusiastic. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I, I think on an individual basis, people people would like to think that they're open minded. Um corporately that's a different question whether or not corporately they all get together and suddenly we get some sort of organizational closed-mindedness yes i think that is a problem but it's not a new problem um historically this has been a problem lots and lots of examples i mean kodak for example kodak was that was kodak 
had actually had their, their R&D scientists had, had created digital imaging and, and, and digital photography that, that pioneered the first digital camera. But the organization just was not able to, was not open-minded enough to be able to commercialize it and do something with it. And, and you know, they, 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 they had there and, you know, the, the rest is history. Um, but that was closed-minded. I mean, I think that the best example, though, of closed-mindedness, and let me just i I'll, I'll sort of tell you a bit of a story here mm. and, and paint a bit of a picture for you. And it's quite out there. It's quite left field. But I need to take you back in history. I need to take you back to 1916, 1917, First World War, where the... Um, you know, and, and the Allied forces were, were, were bogged down in northern France and across the low countries of Europe in this attritional war with, 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 with the Germans. And, and, um, and they were using traditional weapons, but there were a lot of new bits of technology coming through that people were not really too sure how to use and that were going to change tactics and how to do things. And one of those was the tank and the tank was really new. I mean, the tank was, in today's language, would probably say that the tank was in beta testing at that stage. Yeah, no one really knew how to use it, and and it was really, really new. Um, and what they were using instead is what they had used for hundreds of years before that is the horse. Yeah. So, and and they were going, well, these generals going, how the hell do we use these tanks? We don't really get them. Quickly, can we just use some horses because we know how? Well, we know what to do with them. We know how to use them. And there was this. Um, there was this young major called Major J.C.F. Fuller, um, and he was a real bit of a visionary, uh, a bit of an ideas guy. And he saw the tank and thought, I know how to use this. I, I know how we can tactically use the tank on the battlefield to give us a massive advantage. And we could end this war much faster uh, if we use this properly. And so he saw it, but and he wrote loads of papers and presented lots of new ideas to people. Um, and the generals pushed back enormously, said, no, we're not using the tank. We can't use that. We don't really understand. It's ghastly thing. Why not? Let's use horses instead. They're much nicer, um, pretty much. And the, um, there was one battle called the Battle of Cambrai where, where they did manage to use the tanks, which broke through the German lines. Um, but then the generals stopped the tanks and failed to exploit the battle. And what they do after that, sent in the horses. <laughs> um, so then you, you, you fast forward to soon after the Battle of Cambrai, the, the, Second, the First World War ended. But in the following years, um, Fuller continued to write papers about the, the future of the tank. The generals were furious with him and refused to get his papers published. He was awarded gold medals from the Royal United Services Institute, which is a big think tank in, in, the, in the UK and London. Um, they refused to allow him to accept his medal um, and kept buying more horses. And in the build-up to the Second World War, as the Germans started to rearm themselves, um, the British general's response was to buy more hay and to give, to give every cavalry officer a second horse. And Fuller was just done with this he was he was really really furious um and so the generals just were not seeing they were closed to the idea that the tank could be useful for them but the, the story goes on then that, 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 that fuller um was sick of it and he said right en en enough of this and he said well if the, if the brits won't listen to me i'm going to go and talk to someone that will listen to me so he went and talked to the germans um, and he then became and there was lots of other background behind fuller as well so i'm, I'm paraphrasing this but um, Fuller ended up becoming, uh, with a number of other people, the architect of Blitzkrieg, 
which was Lightning War, which was the, the, the sort of the kickoff of the Second World War, when yeah. the German armor rolled through the lowlands of, of, of the low countries and into northern France. And Fuller, with his tactics and ideas and thoughts about it, he, he was the guy that did, one of the guys that architected it. Um, and our general's response was buy more hay. Um, so, you know, close, I just uh, I wanted to share that story because I just think it's a really interesting one in terms of organizational closed mindedness. Uh, we just want to make sure that we're not we're not buying more hay for our organizations. We're not buying people more horses, but we're using new systems and processes. I, I, I love the parallel in that. And I'm a history guy, so I, I, I was right there with you for that whole thing, right. Tim. Uh, OK. So as I think about all this, it's, it sounds to me like you're advocating for reinventing culture. But what does that actually mean? Well, so I think there are some great examples of people who have who have recently created non-traditional cultures. Um, Matt Mullen Webb at Automatic is is one of them. Um, you know, just just Google him. He's got loads of TED talks. There's loads of stuff out there about how he runs Automatic and his various other organisations. Um, they employ about 800 people now globally. They're entirely distributed around the world. He calls it a distributed workforce um, rather than a remote workforce. Um, and uh, he groups them together in time zone teams and he organizes their way of working so that the culture works. Um, and he makes the point that to to create new cultures and, and, rem- and uh, distributed workforces, it takes a conscious effort. Yeah, you've really got to think about it and work at it, which and, and that's right. And my worry is that the people that want to just go back to the way we were before is there's a potential that they just don't want to think about another way of doing it. Um, but but Matt Mullenweb says you, you've got to think about it, but it is absolutely achievable. Um, he does bring his whole organization together a number of times a year because he recognizes that you can't be entirely remote. You, you have to build what I describe as social glue that bonds people together because ultimately it's still about relationship. So he invests in bringing people together um, a number of times a year um, for a good chunk of time and get them to, to build those connections, build that social glue, um, and um, and then off they go again to, to, to work remotely wherever it is that they happen to be. Um, so he's doing it really, really well. I think there are some things, though, that leaders – can do and and think about if they're wanting to consider how to shape their culture in the future um i think firstly is perhaps invest in different things yeah um i do still think you need to invest in a bit of travel uh because you can't replace human interaction and that often means getting onto a flight and you know to to get around and see people but but be, be be smart about it and if you make savings in that space um, then, uh, then redeploy that. Don't just say it's a saving. Like redeploy that into other ways of making sure that we can we can build glue with one another. So invest though in getting teams together, not just for a jolly, not for a nice to have, and let's all go, I don't know, go karting and paintballing and what have you. But actually, there's a that's a business critical activity to get people together and talk about the stuff that needs to be talked about. And I also think there's something about investing in your space. There's a lot of worry from um, real estate people who are saying, oh, my word, you know, all, all their businesses are going to leave their, their, all their, their square footage in their offices in the cities. I don't, well, don't, don't do that, but just use it differently. Don't cut floor space, but use it differently and, and make the space appropriate for collaboration and getting together 
Um, I've been working with a, an asset management firm in London who's done brilliantly at creating um, collaboration spaces, what have you, really great stuff. So I think that's one thing that, 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 that people should be thinking about doing. Processes and controls. I think it's worth thinking about how you performance manage people because it's different, it's, but it's not impossible. Matt Mullen Webb's proved that it's not impossible, but, you know, performance manage people differently. I mean, even consider how we pay people. And I don't mean that from a cynical, oh, we can save something here, but, but you know, think about it. How do we control, control the flow of work around the wider organization, help line managers to understand how to manage their people in this different environment? Because I think it manage, requires a different sort of management. And one thing I would say is under no circumstances install spyware. Uh, because there are a lot of products out there that come across as spyware. The intention is often that it's, the intention is not that you want to spy on your people. You often install this stuff because you think it's really great productivity tools and what have you. It records all your keystrokes. It takes screenshots of what you're looking at at the moment in time. You think it's great because it's going to help productivity. Your people think that you're just spying on them and trust instantly destroyed. Um, so I think you've got to think about that. But also create stories, showcase individuals and teams who are exemplifying the cultures that you want and, and develop new rituals and routines uh, that will help you know, support and reinforce the cultures. So I, so I think there's lots of stuff that you can, you can do. Yeah. Okay, so then it sounds to me like you're all up for wholesale change in organization culture. Is that true? <laughs> well, I don't... I, I, what I'm not saying is like let's throw the baby out with the bathwater. Sure, <laughs> um, I, I'm not saying um, uh, that 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 we just you know everyone up sticks and goes because there's lots and lots about the organisations organisational cultures out there that was really really great. So I'm not saying throw everything out, but what I am saying is that I think we're at a moment that matters. In, in, mm. you know, history gives us moments that matter, and I think this is one of them. Um, so we're at a moment in time where businesses can really consider their culture for all the reasons that I've that I've just said, and and you know that that's that's important. I think we should grab that opportunity. I think the one thing that won't change is that relationships um, still and always will matter. Yeah, we still need to meet one another. We still need to build trust. We still need to have shared common experiences. And our new people starting out on their career need to be able to learn and to make connections and bonds. So I'm not saying that none of that matters anymore. Far from it. In fact, it probably matters more because if we are going to be distributed more often, then then, then building relationships early is really important. It's critical. Um, so, th- so that's ap- an absolute constant, an absolute given. Um, however, though, I think... If you don't address your culture now, when fate basically has has given us an opportunity to do so, my worry is that you're kicking the can down the road. Um, I think those that 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 address their culture challenges now, um, I think they'll be ahead of the curve um, because because culture does give you a competitive advantage, I believe. Um, and if you kick the can down the road now, when when we've got this opportunity in front of us, then you'll you'll be doing it in two, three, four years' time, uh, and asking yourself, well, why didn't we take the opportunity when it was was presented to us? But all, all I'm saying to people is, I, I think it's a t- time to work. It, it's worth thinking about. 
you may, as a result of that thinking, choose to go back to you know everybody in the office five days a week. And that's a completely valid choice. So I, I'm not I'm not advocating for one or the other. What I'm saying to people is take this opportunity to think about it. And if your choice is five days a week, then great. And you'll have thought it through and you've really, really considered it and it will have been the right decision for your business. But equally, if the choice is two days a week in, three days a week out or some sort of other hybrid model or, or all out, that's equally valid. It, but providing you've given it time to, to think it all through. So, yeah, basically, I'm just saying, everybody, use this moment and think about the culture that you want going forwards. Really well said, Tim. It's been a fantastic in-depth look at culture. We surely have heard a lot about culture over the past year, and this podcast shed a lot, a lot of light on how important culture is to the success of each and every business and how search firms transform or maintain cultures to help drive success. As always, we appreciate you taking the time to join the show, and we thank you for sharing your immense knowledge on the topic. Tim, this was great. Rob, thanks very much indeed. It's always a pleasure. You as well. Well, that's all the time we have today. Alongside Tim McEwen, Managing Director of Sheffield Haworth, I'm Rob Adams, and this has been Talent Talks.